do I still be that perfect daughter? You have to first take it back to the core and say, is it perfect in the eyes of Allah? Because if they're asking or pressuring me about something, you use the example of marriage, you know, and it's like, what does Allah want for me? Well, we know that marriage is a highly, highly strong sunnah in Islam, but it's also not a fudd in Islam, as in to say, if the nasib doesn't come, you know, and here they are trying to force me into something or like guilt trip me about something, well, then that's wrong on their end. So when you have two sides kind of playing tug of war, always take it back to Allah. Always take it back to Rasulullah. Like always go back to Allah and his prophet in terms of what is the answer exactly, right? And that always helps clarify things of like, what am I supposed to be doing here? Have you ever played a game of tug of war, but with your parents, and it wasn't a game, but actually with your life? You're listening to Unsween and Unfilter, the podcast, episode eight of season three. The tug of war I'm talking about is the one where what your parents want for you doesn't necessarily align with what you want for yourself. We've all been there. The shouting matches that end up with you and your parents not agreeing on certain life choices of yours. In today's episode, I had the pleasure and honor to sit down with Dr. Rania Awed to discuss our relationships and boundaries or lack thereof with our parents and how we can find compassion and empathy in the midst of our disagreements. The past two weeks, I was grateful enough to celebrate the birthdays of both of my parents who were born a year and one week apart. My mother was born in Palestine and my dad in Venezuela, and somehow they crossed paths and soon thereafter wedding bells began to ring. I skipped the whole part of when they immigrated to the States before they walked down the aisle, but it's reminders like these that make me realize my parents knew of a world without my siblings and I, yet my siblings and I never knew of a world without them. I often wonder about who they were before they were married and had kids. I think it's time that we see our parents as whole beings and not just imperfect parents. It took me a while to get to this point, but as of late, I have been more appreciative of them and all that they have sacrificed for my siblings and I. Of course, our relationship wasn't always smooth sailing. May I remind you that I am the oldest daughter of immigrant parents, so you can only imagine how explosive our disagreements were. One reality check I didn't ask for was the fact that as I grow older, so are my parents. Sometimes I glance at them and whisper a small dua on their behalf because I can't help but to well up with tears when thinking of how much they truly have loved for us, even if they don't say those three words out loud. The love language of immigrant parents is truly like no other. In this episode, I sit down with Dr. Rania Awed, someone who I can't help but to admire in more ways than one. She is truly a pinnacle in our Muslim community and her work doesn't go unnoticed. And even though I am the host, Dr. Rania provided for me a safe and comforting space to share my past bouts with my mom and dad. We discuss the balancing act of trying to do things that make us happy versus what makes our parents happy. I asked Dr. Rania, how do we reach a point where we can compromise with one another rather than feeling as if we are sacrificing our life choices to make our parents more pleased with us? I also shared with her the way I carried of wanting to be a perfect daughter in every aspect and managing the struggle of wanting to be treated like an adult, yet our parents sometimes refuse to see us as such, even until the point of when we are married and have our own family. I do want to mention that this conversation censors parental relationships that do not involve trauma or abuse. I do believe a separate conversation needs to be had when a relationship reaches such a severe level of toxicity and it is never okay to force anyone to remain in such harmful situations, even if it's your own parents. I do hope that today's conversation provides you with more clarity on how to navigate these balancing acts and the pressures of living a life that has been pre-planned for you in a way. As mentioned in other episodes, boundaries are key. But how do we set boundaries with our parents from an Islamic perspective? Let's dive in. Thank you so much, Dr. Rania, for joining us for this wonderful conversation that we're about to have. You know, in season two, we touched upon the topic of parenting and how, you know, we grew up sheltered and what are the long-term effects. And it was a very insightful conversation with Zainab Bajwa. But I want to also take this a step further. And I want to talk about the boundaries that we create or can create between us and our parents. How can we have more compassion towards our parents? And why do we feel sometimes we're so overwhelmed and becoming the perfect daughter, quote unquote, for our parents? So I really want to dive into these topics. But first and foremost, you know, a lot of people know who you are, Michelle. You're a staple in our community, but I would love for you to just introduce yourself and then we can get right to it. 
Sounds good. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so happy to be a guest on today's podcast. A little bit about myself. Uh, professionally speaking, I'm a psychiatrist. I am a professor, a clinical associate professor at Stanford University um, in the Department of Psychiatry. There, I direct the Stanford Muslim Mental Health Lab and, um, of course, do clinical work um, and teach. And then a couple other things that I do, I am a you know director of the Khalil Center that's here in the San Francisco Bay Area and also the director of the Rahma Foundation, which is an educational nonprofit for women and girls, teaching them about Islam. Prior to medicine and simultaneous and all throughout till now, been studying the deen, alhamdulillah, studied in Damascus and received various, you know, ijazas and degrees, sharia, and for a good while also taught Islamic law and theology at Zaytuna College and continue to teach the Islamic sciences throughout. Mashallah, that's such a, an extensive resume, and I, I commend you for doing all that and, and having all that work done underneath your belt. And I felt like this was a perfect conversation to have you on. I feel like you can provide a lot of insight when it comes to this topic. And I want to start at the very beginning. When, when we were children growing up, I felt like we only viewed our parents as just parents. We didn't attach anything else to our parents. We didn't attach the fact that they too also had their own childhood. They too had their own dreams and their passions, and maybe they didn't get to live it out the way we are fortunate enough to, I want us to be able to humanize our parents. How can we understand and look at our parents from that lens? And why is it difficult for us to look at them from that lens? It's interesting because I've, you know, somebody once told me that our parents knew a life without us, but we've never known a life without our parents. When we were born into this world, alhamdulillah, we were introduced to our parents right away. And that's all we've ever known. We've never known a life without them. So if we can start from there, that would be very interesting. That's that's actually a really great analogy or point to say that, you know, our parents knew a life before us, but we don't know a life without them. SubhanAllah, as long as, of course, they're with us. It's so interesting because when humanizing your parents, it's also part of, you know, putting yourself in their shoes. So today, I think we should definitely talk about the difference between sympathy and empathy, which is really key, really, I think, to, to having this better relationship with our parents and understanding them just as much as they need to understand us, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of goes both ways, for sure. It's a two-way street. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, it, it's so first, let's start with, you know, how come we as children have sometimes a hard time breaking out of that the mold of how we see our parents. And part of that is because if you think about how we're raised, especially if you're raised within a Muslim family, but even even other folks as well, the power dynamics that are there, these are parents. And so when you are younger, you're fully and completely dependent on them, right? Especially as a toddler, as a you know, school-aged child and so on. And then you go into your own adolescence and into your own teenage years, into you know college years and so on. Um, and you start to individuate, which is a special word that we use, yes. you know, in <laughs> psychology, in which we talk about how you become your own individual. And you said that you had talked about sheltered, growing up sheltered. And for many people who grow up sheltered, they have a longer time and process and maybe even difficult time in individuating. Part of that is you know, not being able to fully come into their own, so to say. And sometimes it's also the parents that are not letting go. They also are very used to their own position as, but I'm the parent and, I, and because I said so. And these are my rules. And sometimes having a hard time kind of understanding that their child is now still a child, always a child, but now an adult child. You know, I really love some of the Islamic poetry that's come through about this, you know, this idea of like, what are children exactly? You know, that, that this concept of they come, you know, through you, but they're not of you. They're basically something that Allah, they belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not to you. And so when they need to get to the next stage of their own lives, you're able to let them get to that next stage, right? And not hold on to them. And so subhanAllah. So anyway, for us looking at how to really humanize our parents and understand them in taking a step back, that concept of earlier when I said sympathy versus empathy. Sympathy is really when you look at something or somebody and you go, oh, that's too bad. Empathy, you know, is when you actually put yourself into those shoes. And that's important because here's what we're asking folks to do. In order to really understand your parents better, you need to be able to empathize with them, which means put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself, why is my parents saying this or reacting in this way? And and once once you kind of have that other that other perspective, you suddenly start to understand them better. And this is why a lot of parents will say, you won't really understand what it's like to be a parent until you're one, right? Because then you're forced, it's forced empathy. You're put into that perspective, right? But because of your life circumstances of being a parent now yourself. But even if you're not yet a parent, or you maybe one day, maybe maybe it's not in your nasib or your risk to be, um, you know, your, what's written for you to become a parent, um, you could still empathize. You could still put yourself in their shoes and really start to humanize and understand them better. 
that's a thing that I, I think all of us struggled with when we were younger. You know, we just viewed our parents as our enemies and we viewed them as people who are trying to, you know, make our lives worse and this and that. And it's just, to me, it was mind boggling because as you grow, your faith also grows and it strengthens and you start to understand your deen better. And you realize like, you know, the Quran mentions your parents so highly, especially your mother. So how can you view the creation of Allah in that way? How can you view your mother as your enemy when really she's looking out for you the best way that she can? But you know, obviously when we were younger, that would have never worked for us. We would have went blue in the face telling you, nope, our parents are completely against us. You know, they're just giving us a no without hesitation and, and I've been good and, and they can trust me and whatnot. But I think another thing that is really important is the balancing act. And this is something that I've struggled with when I was younger. And that's the fact of doing what makes us happy versus what makes our parents happy. And sometimes you almost kind of look back on your life and you think, oh, my life seemed like it was almost pre-planned for me. Every step of every of everything that I've ever done felt like it was the choice of my parents or I've I've went down the path of what my parents wanted me to go down and I, I felt like I never lived my life for me. What do we tell people that are struggling with this now or even yeah or just like me looking back at that moment? How do we compromise and how do we compromise where it doesn't feel like one of us is sacrificing more so sometimes it's the children rather than the actual parents that are sacrificing but again that's because maybe we have empathized as much with our parents. They've sacrificed a lot for us. Absolutely. And I think there's there's many you know factors to take into consideration here. You know, when you ask, because I always say, take a step back, let's think about why this is happening. And also we have to talk about generational differences, cultural differences, whether or not your parents were immigrants here or born and raised here, here being the U.S. that we're talking about right now, or really any any Western context. The reason I say that is because for so many parents, the reason they have so carefully, if you will, like you mentioned, outlined what it is their children should be doing is because they came from a place of struggle. If they immigrated here, let's use that example first, that if they immigrated here, they struggled, right, to set up who they are, to make a home right here, to kind of find the kind of job that would allow their children to be com- more comfortable than maybe how they were brought up. And you think about what it is they want for their next generation, right? Their progeny. They want happiness, security, financial, you know, <laughs> safety, mm-hmm. right? So on and so forth. And so they outline all these things. You're going to go to school like this. You're going to have such and such career and job. You're going to get married by this age. You're going to have these many children. <laughs> so they have exactly. like this whole dream life, right? The dream that they have like, you know, already. And when it kind of, con- when it kind of contradict, you know, the dream is a little different than how they imagined it to be. They get really agitated, right? Like, this is not what I wanted for you. And you're saying to them, but this is not what I wanted for me either. You yes, know, exactly. and back and forth. And that's why it's really helpful to put yourself in their shoes and take a step back and go, huh? You know, I, I talk and I kind of laugh about this because I myself am a physician, so I can say this, you know, but there's always this running joke in the Muslim community of like, if you have a bright kid, they get pushed into medicine, right? This has happened, you know, to me, even though my folks will tell you up and down and swear up and down that it was my choice and not theirs. But I just sort of, you know, there's this ongoing tussle of like, really, who was it, right? And when you take a step back and go, what was going on there? It's like, okay, the immigrant dream is that you come to the land of opportunity, you work hard, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you put your kids in the profession that they're going to be most secure in, right? Which for a lot of people were the STEM kind of fields, engineering and the sciences and the medicine and so on, um, because there were like charted paths for them. And when you realize that there's like after a certain amount of schooling, there's like a known job market for it and so on. And all of the creative fields it was a lot more difficult to really see how exactly does that translate into a job at the end of the day and security. So then you go, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe that's what's going on here. And then, it, you know, even whether it's right or wrong isn't exactly our discussion right now. It's a lot more, why are they thinking the way they're thinking? You know, and then when you take that step back again, empathizing, you go, oh, okay, got it. Even if I don't agree with it, now at least I understand where they're coming from. I wish I had that mindset when I was younger, but you know, wisdom comes as as you mature and as you go through life's experiences. And one of them is being, you know, growing up with immigrant parents and whatnot. And, but sometimes I feel like what they wanted versus what I wanted, the pool in each direction was very, very strong. How do we come to an agreement when when what they want and what we want, there's just, it seems like there is no compromise. But I think in every situation, there is a compromise. You know, in our faith, we don't believe in walking away from our parents and just completely exiling them out of our lives. Again, there's 
obviously major reasons why some people have to do that. But in this context where we're just disagreeing on maybe our career path, like how can we get to that agreement? How can we even, no matter what, let's just say, yeah, I want to grow up to be, let's just say, and parents wanted me to be a lawyer and I chose to be in the marketing industry and whatnot. How can I go forth with my dream while not upsetting my parents? Because it seems like somebody's going to be extremely upset. There is no like, oh, okay, fine, do whatever you want. I, I believe in you and I want to see you happy. I don't feel like we have those conversations with our parents. Right. Absolutely. And and that's and that's what you said earlier. I loved when you said the balancing act, right? Like this is a balancing act. And it's one of those where you're right, there's going to be a bit of a tug of war happening. And ultimately one side will take over, right? It's either you or them, like whether it becomes law school in your case, or, you know, becoming an attorney, or whether it's becoming, you know, somebody who's working in marketing. One of these, I mean, I guess technically you can do both. Yeah. Like, well, you know, I don't know why I chose other. those. Yeah. I meant like maybe doctor or yeah, something that our parents are not really like comfortable with it just because obviously there's a lot of creative yes. roles nowadays. And that's something that our parents were never introduced to. That was just at the top of my head. I don't know what I was saying at that point, but yeah. But it's great. I and mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening, they're going through a lot of the very same concepts. And here we're talking about careers, but this could be anything. This could be, you know, marriage partner choices. This could be, I mean, there's so many things that you can fill in this, you know, but here we're using the example of career for now. And you're right. It's going to be a one or the other. And how do you get the other side to eventually feel that they're in agreement or eventually not, even if they don't fully agree, but at least are happy enough for you and with you, you know, and they're not like exiling you and you're not, and you, not them. Right. That's important too. And part of that is it's all in the negotiation. It's all in the discussion. And this is where, you know, in the Quran, here I turn back to Islam because for guidance, because how do you deal with this? You know, and here we talk about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us how to speak to our parents. So he, he gave us very clear instructions of how to speak to them. And he said to speak to them kindly and to speak to them. And that's so important because that's part of the negotiation process, because you could be, like you said, blue in the face, trying to like say over and over how you feel, but that's not going to go anywhere. Definitely. I've learned the hard way, especially when you're the oldest, you kind of feel like you're targeted and you have no one else to fall back on. So yes, it seems like anger is almost like kind of your first emotion. And it, when you look back on that, it's like my life could have you know, been a different trajectory if I actually did sit down with my parents calmly explained my side to them. You know, even if I didn't have the best of communication skills, it's all about just how kindly you speak. And honestly, at the end of the day, what you want to say does get translated through to your parents. And I know there's probably some who are listening thinking, but I do try to speak kindly or I have the kind of parents that I couldn't possibly raise my voice at. Right? There's some folks that are like that too, subhanAllah. And and even then it's like, you know, the person who that we have this, you know, the saying of like the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? That kind of concept where sometimes it's a matter of saying it over and over kindly, but over and over. And sometimes it's not in words. Sometimes the way to communicate for some people actually in the negotiation is in writing. So I've, I've actually in, in therapy, I've actually advised people, if you cannot get through to that other side, even though you're speaking kindly and nicely, you know, and so on and, and, and strong, you know, with kind of like keeping firm to what you want to say, I'll tell them, write a letter. Maybe today it's more like a, you know, a, you know, a, a text message. It could be something, but it's, it, it could be a hand letter, written letter, but it could also be a type letter. Sometimes in the letter, it's almost like if they will read it, you can get everything you're trying to say without inter- interruption. But if you're trying to say it, verbally, you know this, right? Parents get also pretty hot tempered yes. <laughs> and they just keep on yelling and interrupting and you can't fully say what you're trying to say. Another method of negotiation, and this is part of the balancing act, is to have somebody that they are willing to listen to, if it's not you, intervene or say it on your behalf. So sometimes this could be like an aunt or an uncle, that one of their siblings that they'll listen to, who is willing to hear you out fully and then kind of speak on your behalf or some other elder that they you know respect and are willing to listen to. There's all these techniques of how you communicate what you're saying. Because at the end of the day, if they feel like, okay, this child of mine, why am I making this big fuss in the first place? I want for them happiness, safety, security. And if the plan that they're bringing to me actually fulfills those things and I can hear it all the way through, then I might eventually be able to agree with them. I I definitely agree with you on that. I also, it kind of brings me to the idea of halal rebellion, if that even makes sense, if you can even put those two words in the same sentence back to back. But I feel like there's a way, I guess, to rebel against your parents. And rebel is just such a triggering word because it's like something that you don't want to do with your parents. You don't want to rebel against your parents. But I guess for some people, they have no choice but to follow their dreams because their parents are still 
not budging whatsoever. What do we do in that case when what you are trying to pursue is halal? You're not doing anything wrong. You're not harming anybody. Do you just hope for the best and just hope that your parents will one day come around? Because personally, I believe that your parents do end up coming around. You know, I feel like my parents have completely progressed from who they were when I was younger to who they are now as and as I'm a grown woman in my 30s. It's completely different. They're much more open and understanding and they've evolved with time. Do we still go on with pursuing our passions or without their blessings or do we wait around for their blessings? I know this is a difficult question and it's a case by case as well. I was actually just going to start the with the answer of saying like it is a case by case and it really, really depends. You know, for some, it, it, it has been, since we're still speaking about career choices, talking about like how they wanted to do something creative. They wanted to do, you know, something in the art and they couldn't, they just couldn't get their family's blessing. But there was nothing inherently wrong in what they were doing either. And in a case like that, where there isn't anything, because remember, this is, again, we're going to go from Islam's perspective here and say, what is the hierarchy? What is the hierarchy here in terms of like the order of things? And yes, you answer to your parents, especially when you're under their care and concern. But above your parents is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is this concept, and I'll say it in Arabic and then translate, we say basically that the rule is, the primary rule is, لا which translates into, there is no disobedience of the creator in obeying his creation. Your parents are his creation, which is why in the Quran it talks about it. If they tell you, if the parents tell you to do something to disobey Allah, you do not follow their orders. Basically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above that. And it works the other way too. If you're, you're doing something in which there is basically, it's even. It's like there isn't anything haram per se here. And you're you're looking out for your well-being and your future. And they, for whatever reason, maybe it's stubbornness, maybe it's sort of a cultural thing. I mean, there's something that's preventing them from fully being able to see it your way. But there's nothing inherently haram in it. Here you have the choice. Here you have to really think about what is this choice because you could technically say, look, in my obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in allowing me to take these next steps of my career or my life or so on, and I'm not disobeying him in any way, I can go ahead and move forward, especially especially if the parents are almost like, and sometimes unfortunately there are parents like this that are their own insecurities, their own anxieties, they kind of hold you back. It's almost like they're not ready to transition into their next stage of life, which is having adult children, not young children. And the other choice, because there's two choices, right? Like if there's the equal you know, perspective of like, so you decide that there's nothing where you're disobeying Allah's Ta'ala, so you move forward. But then there's also the other choice, which is equally important, actually, and some people will decide to take this, where they'll say, look, there's also nothing, it's equal, right? It's neutral. Then I will go ahead and favor obeying my parents, right? In their discomfort in me, you know, doing X, Y, or Z in hopes that, and this is actually very important for the believer to know, in hopes that me having done this with the intention of obeying my parents and pleasing them and making them happy. Um, again, not that I'm being hindered. It's just like, it's a neutral choice. It could be this or that, you know, green or blue. It doesn't really matter which one, but because my intention now is to obey my parents and make them happy, it could actually be that I am blessed because of it and I get better opportunities and more doors open. And there are many stories and examples of how that's the case too. So just wanted to present those both there. No, that, that's a beautiful example as well, because yeah, it could go either way. And I, I appreciate you for answering this question, because again, it is a case by case. So it's hard to sometimes answer these questions in general terms, because sometimes the topic of conversation is not going to be career. It could be something completely different. It could also be related to marriage. Absolutely. The part about communicating with parents, it's it's really and having them understand that we're now adult <laughs> children, yes. right? You know, Michelle, in, in like natural progression, it actually ends up that in, you know, for, for again, healthy parents, healthy children, healthy relationships, it ends up that it's a natural progression. It, it, you know, the natural course of order is that maybe the kids at some point leave the home, either because they're pursuing work or school or marriage, right? And so they're kind of like going into that next stage. And so in, inherently and naturally, it's almost like, okay, now you're an adult like I am. And many people actually, especially in many cultures, they'll say, there's actually a lot of research on this, that people feel that until they become married, they're, they're not actually treated as like a full-fledged adult, which is problematic, of course, because that may never happen for somebody and they're very much an adult, right? Exactly. Um, in other cultures, they'll say it's actually not until they become a parent that they're not fully treated and spoken to like an adult, which is also problematic very much so. And none of that, and this is where I love to take things back, always back to Islam, because in the eyes of the Sharia, in the eyes of Islam, basically you are an adult once you reach bulugh or puberty, which is kind of an interesting thing because it's very young. Like it's, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there, right? For, for boys and girls. The Sharia dictates that the parents at that point need to start actually putting 
and speaking, putting responsibilities and speaking to the children as though they're now, because of them in the eyes of the law, adults, and the way that they, all their deeds, good and bad, count like an adult, then imagine <laughs> how we should be. So basically what I mean to say this, this is a whole other area of research and discussion, that Islam doesn't have a recognition of teenage years. <laughs> you pretty much go from a child to an adult. Yeah. Right. And that's really key. And if we, we followed actually our Islamic principles, we wouldn't even have this issue in the first place because we basically say, look, if you need to be praying five times a day and fasting Ramadan and you have, you know, potentially zakat to pay and so on, like me as an adult, therefore you're still under my nurture and care and support until you're a little bit older, but I need to start, start now treating you like an adult. Right. So this you get this training supposedly earlier on in life. And that prevents a lot of the sheltering that you're talking about and a lot of this babying, you know, people not failure to launch. That's happening with so many people. Why do you think there is that where we sometimes feel like we veer away from our religion and we more so focus on our culture? Because, yeah, in the Quran, it does say that if you reach a certain age, that's it, you've reached your puberty and then this is what you're you're basically an adult. And sometimes I feel like also like our parents think that we're old enough to get married. But if we're not married, they still think that they can baby us and still treat us like children. So it's, it's a very difficult. It's a very difficult juggling act because sometimes even us as children or as adults or teenagers, we get confused because here are my parents telling me, at the age of 17, you have to get married. But then also at the age of 17, I didn't have a car or even had my own, you know, I didn't get my job or anything like that until the end of being 17, almost becoming 18. So it's like, I felt like, how are, am I getting prepared for such a huge milestone in my life? But then I'm also being hindered in other ways and treated like a child in other ways. Why is that psychologically? Why is that? Why do our parents think that it's okay? Is it because of that fear? Is it because of they just want to protect us? And even though it absolutely. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's fear there. Absolutely. And there's there's also, again, the empathy part would say if I mm-hmm. if I have a 17 year old kid who's who's barely, you know, and again, every kid is a little different. Right. So it also depends on their maturity and their abilities and so on. You know, there are some, of course, 17 year olds who are ready to take over the world. You know, there are other 17 yeah. year olds who you can't even fully trust them to get to the grocery store and back without like, you know, so missing true. 10 things, you know, so, not less. so it's, it so really true. depends. But you're looking at, you know, as a parent and you always say to yourself, when I'm a parent of a 17 year old what will I feel like? And honestly, you probably will still feel like the parent whose rules go, you know, and and that's, again, the empathy really helps here. But speaking to the parents who might be listening to this and future parents, inshallah, who one day will have teenagers themselves and maybe already do, you know, it's really important that the concept of individuating, it's actually a healthy concept. It's one that we need to do. And you started earlier on by giving them, giving your children, you know, like, roles and responsibilities in which you're trying to tell them, look, you need to prove yourself eventually, right? So that I can start to let go, start to let go. You know, that's the healthy process of doing this. And culture plays a big role. So, you know, some cultures, they really do baby the kids. I mean, well into their own marriages and well into their own, you know, especially here, I'm talking about some of the, the boys specifically, if we're going to talk about gender differences, you know, it's like, no, he now is a husband and a father to another set of people. <laughs> He's no longer your little son and you can't interfere. And with this, this opens up a whole other can of worms of in-laws and kind of interfering into being mommying your kid, your son into his own family and interfering with his wife as a mother-in-law, which is, you know, again, all of these are very interconnected issues. But if we did them the correct way, we wouldn't have a lot of these issues in the first place. That's that's beautifully said. Another thing is, I feel like sometimes, you know, when we do end up making our personal choices, and especially if they're good halal choices and whatnot, it sometimes feels like our parents, it feels like our parents think that we're almost like running away from them or not putting them first or their wisdom or their guidance first. And I, it's like something that you never want to do to your parents. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to say, I know better than you, because ultimately your parents will always have a little bit more wisdom than you. You know, they've lived longer. They've experienced a little bit more than you. How, how do we, respectfully tell them that this is a choice I'm going after and I'm not running away from you and I do respect what you're saying and whatnot. I'm probably answering my own question by basically just speaking kindly to your your parents and, you know, affirming these things with them and letting them know. But it's, it's, yeah, it's a little heartbreaking for your parents sometimes when there is that moment where you realize my child is now an adult and she is able to make her own choices. It's that feeling that our parents feel like they are not needed anymore. And I think it's a little heartbreaking when, when they feel like they've reached that point with their kids. And so, you know, that's, that's, it's really wonderfully said. And I think here's where you could help as the child who doesn't want to break their parents' heart, right? Uh, Who wants to be able to do what they need to do in life and want 
they would like to do in life, but also want to please their parents and make sure that their relationship is there. So here's what I will say that, about that. What do parents want? It's basically a question back to everyone listening. It's, it's what do they want? And I think when I finally learned this from my own spiritual teachers about this, it kind of made a a lot of sense. It's like, okay, as an adult, what do I need? As a kid, it's clear, like that relationship, you know, your parents take care of you. But once I'm an adult and now my parents are older, right? And they're becoming elderly. There's a whole other relationship here that happens. And you also, as a kid, need to learn to transition as well. So there's three main things that we talk about, right? Parents want our love. They want our time as an attention and time. And they also potentially either might want or slash need our financial support. Now, if you pay attention to those three things, you realize that they're actually the inverse. They're actually the same things that we needed from them earlier on. But we need to actually give them these things later on. And when you give them these three things beyond just speaking kindly, when you actually give them these three things, you can be doing all you want to do out there in the world and still have very happy parents. Because you, you know, you say to yourself, look daily, every other day, at least weekly, there's a certain amount of you doing what? giving them time, attention, when you're calling, checking in, how are things going? Do you need anything? Just like we as kids needed their attention, we also need to give that back as well. And and this is where unfortunately people go wrong. Like they become some really important CEO of something, I don't know what, and they like don't call their parents anymore. And like, ah, he's too good for us, right? She's too good for us. Nope. It's got to be like that daily phone call, that daily check-in or very close to daily. Um, every so often you can set the rate, you know your parents best, right? The people, people know their parents best. Then there is the a love where that has to actually be spoken. And, you know, this is where we go into the whole discussion of love languages. And there's five different love languages, some of which is actually saying, I love you. But for others, it's actually action, you know, doing things for them. Go pick up the mail, take out the trash, you know, go do things around their house that they're maybe getting older now, not able to do. And for others, it's gift giving. You're actually giving them things, right? Which takes me to point number three. There's other love languages, of course. Point number three is financial. And for some people, this is, and this is where Islam differs, I think, from many. For us, it's not just because you're, quote unquote, the power of attorney, and therefore you have to take over your parents' finances and estate and well-being. It's actually part of our deen, that if they are in need, and if they, and even without them asking, you are helping and supporting financially. You know, it shouldn't be like that they overreach and take into from your finances. No, it's it's that you are doing this. It should be very much that they are self-sufficient, but you are. And in case they're not able to, the, the tides have turned and now you are actually helping them. And in this way, you can, again, be doing what you want to do without feeling that guilt because they feel well cared for and attended to. I love that. I love the idea of helping our parents, especially financially. I think it's the least that we can do, to be honest. I mean, after 18 years or so, how many years you've lived with your parents and, you know, provided for you and it's not everything comes for free. All the food and the, the roof over your head and everything that was all financially paid for by your own parents. So the least we can do is return the favor to them, um, especially if they are in need and whatnot. You know, especially when our parents get to an older age, you know, they, they can't work as hard as they used to. And maybe they don't want to actually work anymore. Maybe they want to retire. So I guess it's such a blessing to be able to relieve your parents of that work and for you to be able to provide for them. So if Allah is allowing you to have that blessing and to be able to bless somebody else, take advantage of that. And another thing is sometimes your parents, not that they have pride or anything like that, but they're not going to come to you directly and tell you we need money. I think we need to have keep our eyes open and, you know, help our parents in any which way that we can without boasting about it and just, you know, doing it discreetly and, and just being there for them. I think it's, I think it's really, really important just to understand that your parents also have needs. Yes, they were amazing, you know, almost like you, you kind of almost stuff a lot viewed them as immortal when you were younger because it seemed like they were able to do everything for you. But you grow up as an adult and you realize that they also have needs as well. And inshallah, as their children, we can provide for them the way they provided for us. I think that's such an ultimate blessing. I think for me, something else I struggled with, the pressure of being a perfect daughter. And I think why I had a lot of pressure on me was, like I mentioned earlier, I was the oldest daughter. I was the first firstborn and I was a daughter and I was the oldest daughter. And for the longest, I felt like it was a lot of pressure and responsibility on me to please them as much as I can. And it, it seemed like, you know, maybe it was in my head that I felt like I had to be the perfect daughter and, and whatnot. But I, I feel like there is this thing that I also struggle with is the idea of like my parents' happiness is not independent of my life. 
life choices. But how can I, you know, freely move with my life, not holding on to this burden or this feeling that this pressure that I have to be this perfect daughter at all times for my parents. And sometimes, yeah, your parents do voice things like, oh, I wish you were married. I wish you had kids. I wish, I wish, I wish. But it's like, I, I can't help but to tell them like, whatever Allah has written for me, it's written and it's going to happen inshallah one day soon, but there's only so much I can do from my end. So how can I feel like I don't always have to please my parents? And if I do feel that way, how can I overcome that feeling? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the pressure of perfection <laughs> is really where this, you know, the crux of this discussion right here. And different people have this at different levels. It goes back to their own personality types. You know, are you a type A kind of personality, mm-hmm. right? Are you very much like, I need to like cross those T's and dot those I's, right? And that may be contributing to part of this as well. But in other ways, it's really, it's really having you be kind of really remember what is your primary role in this life in this dunya, right? And um, and this helps actually. So I'll walk us through this kind of concept. I love to think about this is something my my teacher, I'm going to tell you kind of this diagram and, and we're going to visualize it together, but it really, really helps this because it, it answers, inshallah, your question. The core of everything is actually your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if we think about like that inner circle, the inner core, it's actually you and Allah. And right outside of it, the inner core after that, the circle after that would be your relationship with your parents, then come your siblings, then come your you know, extended family, then comes your friends and, you know, acquaintances, your community, the nationally, internationally, the ummah, you know, you kind of like, you build out all these circles outside of it, this concentric circles. And and actually this shifts when you're married. So I'll just speak to that really quickly as well, because people, you know, kind of unfortunately goof this one up a little too, because mm-hmm. they, they're like, okay, the inner core is me and Allah, got it. The outer, the core right outside of it should be my parents, right? And it's like, well, actually, after you get married, the core, that shifts, and parents struggle with this and kids struggle with this, that it, it shifts because then the, the next core out and who you're directly responsible for is actually your spouse. And if you have children, your children, and then comes your parents and then your siblings and then <laughs> all the different circles we just outlined. And there's always that tussle back and forth because it's like, wait, 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 wait. And parents have a hard time because they're like, what do you mean? I'm not the inner core anymore. What do you mean? <laughs> you exactly. know, what do you mean your husband took and your kids took precedence? But in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? In the eyes of Sharia, that's who you're responsible for first. The reason for that is, you know, the, the responsibility of parents is often split amongst many different siblings. Potentially they have more more than one child. And even if they have just one child, the point is, you know, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who you will answer for first is actually your spouse, if you have one, and your kids, if Allah has given them to you, right? And that's really key. And then you're going to answer for about your parents. Why do I make that whole discussion there? Because it really starts to help you put things into perspective. And again, if all things are halal, and things are all equal, again, blue or green, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> you have, you know, you know, your spouse is going blue and your parents are going green, then there is actually a prior hierarchy here now that's built. Um, and that's actually important to keep in mind. So for you in thinking about perfection and thinking about how do I still be that perfect daughter, it's you have to first take it back to the core and say, well, Emma, is it perfect in the eyes of Allah? Because if they're asking or pressuring me about something, you use the example of marriage, you know, and it's like, okay, what does Allah, what does Allah want for me? Well, we know the mar- marriage is a highly, highly strong sunnah in Islam, but it's also not a fudd in Islam, as in to say, if the nasib doesn't come, you know, and here they are trying to force me into something or like, you know, guilt trip me about something, well, then that's wrong on their end. So when you have two sides kind of playing tug of war, always take it back to Allah. Always take it back to Rasulullah. Like always go back to Allah and his prophet in terms of what is the answer exactly, right? And that always helps clarify things of like, what am I supposed to be doing here? Exactly. And just doing things for the sake of Allah, in a sense, as well. Like it, you, when you do things for the sake of Allah, you almost kind of put your pride and your ego to rest and you hear your parents out and your parents do the same thing. I think for me, the one thing that I used to struggle with is, well, I'm I'm 31 now. So back then, I feel like things have changed a little bit now, I feel like. But I, back then, we used to do it the old school way where somebody would come to your house and want to ask for your hand and you do that. And I struggled with that. First of all, it's very nerve wracking. That's just, you know, meeting somebody for the first time in one. And I remember I used to go blue in the face, tell my parents, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I wish that I approached it differently. I wish I did things for, if I did things for the sake of Allah, then that means I would have done it more respectfully in the sense where I would have explained to my parents like, okay, you know what? I will sit down with this person, person, but if I don't like him, please respect my choice. I think that would have been a better way to go about things because in that situation, I rebelled against my parents or that idea of how to meet your future spouse by choosing somebody that my parents didn't know about, that they, they didn't know who he was or anything like that. And to, 
to be frank, I didn't even know. But for me, that choice made sense. Like I was like, I'd rather make my own choice than to do it my parents' way. And you know, it wasn't the best of choices. SubhanAllah, how you, you, you know, how lessons come about in your life, because, you know, you almost kind of settle for anything other than what your parents want for you. And that's how I felt. That's why I ended in a divorce and whatnot, because I wish I had more clarity. I wish, you know, you don't rush into things because in a way I wanted to please my parents, but I also wanted to, to kind of do it my way, quote unquote, and not their way, you know, and that's something that has stuck with me for the longest. It's that feeling of settling for something completely different, as long as it's not what your parents wanted for you. I, I don't know why some of us do have that mindset. And sometimes you look back and it's like, oh, my parents were right. And it's it's hard. It's hard to swallow that pill and realize, you know, your parents were doing things the right way. It might not have been right for you, but they were doing it the right way. And maybe, yeah, my nasi wasn't in, in the way my parents wanted me to do it, but there was a way that I could have communicated with my parents and I could have avoided. It's hard to say you could have avoided something because you never know what's written for you to be mm-hmm. to be truthful. Yeah, Allahu A'lam. It might have, it could have been that way, but I think it would have been less painful if there was a little bit more compassion in my choices. Absolutely. I think that's so key. And it's it's very nicely said. And, um, and you're right, Allahu, Allahu Ta'ala Adam. And that's why the intention is so important here, because at the end of the day, you say, how am I doing, you know, that when that nef starts to like, you know, that lower self, that nef starts to like play up and you start to feel like, you know, you have to ask yourself, am I doing this? Because I'm trying to rebel it. I don't want this and so on. And you feel that nefs get kind of raging and getting loud. Or is it because, you know, really, truly, like, as you think of it with a very, you know, kind of, really think it all the way through and go, no, really, this isn't the best for me. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference here. And that's why, you know, in Islam, we look at a very, I know we, we said, the, I said the word psychology earlier today, and we look at it as a very holistic model. Like your heart, your qalb has to play a role. Your mind or cognition has to play a role. Your ihsas or emotions have to play a role. And so does your nafs and ruh, your, your soul and your spirit have to both play a role in this. Because if you just kind of go one way, it's very nafsi, like me, 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 no, no, no. And then you're probably going to make the wrong choices, right? Oh, yeah. And if you go to it very super logically, one plus one equals two, just super logically, there's no emotion and you're like, you end up with a very logical choice in marriage, let's say, but not nothing really, no emotion or love attached to it. And if you go fully, fully with your heart, <laughs> not think about logical choices, right? Oh, you gosh. see how everything's very interconnected. You know what I mean? Kind of law. I, I love that answer because I, I think I've shared that little bit of my story because I really want for people to listen, for people who have parents that, you know, want to talk about, about marriage to them and whatnot. Honestly, communication is key. Respect is key. Trust is key because at the end of the day, you will be making mistakes if you decide to do things on your own in spite of someone else. And sometimes when it's in spite of your parents and that's not right. I want to move on lastly to just resentment, but then also on the flip side, compassion. Sometimes, you know, we... You know, it's it's weird to have this feeling of love and resentment towards a, a person. And sometimes, you know, we do carry this resentment. You don't want to carry this resentment, especially when it's your parents for the choices that they've made on your behalf. And now you look back on how your life was and how or what it could have been if you basically did choose your own life path. How do we move on from feeling resentment towards our parents? Because I don't think anybody would ever feel comfortable with having resentment towards their parents or wanting to choose a life of where they resent their parents. I think everybody is um, worthy of a second chance, worthy of understanding, and like you said, empathy. So how can we move on from that phase of feeling regret and resentment when it comes to our relationship with our parents and where it has led us? Yeah. And here too, I, I, you know, I take this back to Islam as well, because I think to myself, you know, imagine, imagine if we had a Lord, you know, who, who saw the faults we made and never forgave them, oh gosh. right? They were just etched in stone and there was no way, there was no way to actually remedy the issue. Well, subhanAllah, I mean, look how merciful we have of the Lord where you, we mess up all day long, all day long, every day, every week, every month, we're totally doing things, you know, that are really, you know, not the best. And there's constant ability for forgiveness. There's constant renewal, right? There's constant, there's new chances every single day to wake up again. And let's take from that, let's take that lesson take from that lesson and say, just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed us mercy, let us show mercy to those around us as well. And, you know, there's this beautiful hadith, and I'll say it in Arabic and translate, but, you know, you know, it's a famous hadith. Actually, in fact, anytime you study hadith, you start with this one hadith always in the beginning, and it's called hadith al-Rahmah, the hadith of mercy. And it's, it says, ar-Rahimuna yarhamuhum ar-Rahman. 
So Rahimun basically translates into those who are merciful will be shown mercy. So have mercy on those on earth. Allah will have mercy on you in the heavens, right? And so this is important because it's this concept of like, take from his mercy, take from that characteristic of mercy and show it to everyone around you, including your parents. So if you had a tough time with them earlier on or you know, you've carried a lot of resentment. Now realize like you're in a new stage, kind of make the intention for renewal, right? Make the intention for forgiveness. And then subhanAllah, you know, it's amazing when people have not, you, 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 I'm sure you met people like this where they'll, even their own siblings, people within one family, we haven't talked to each other for years and you try to figure out what on earth they were mad at in the first place. And it could be something so trivial. It might've been many things that added together, but eventually whatever it finally broke was like one small little thing. Why is that important? Because it's the same thing with our parents. You know, we have to be able to have that kind of um, spirit of forgiveness and mercy and renewal. And when you have the intention, even if the other person is totally blocking you, but you have that intention, somehow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of your good intention, opens up the doors and allows it to go through. And then you start to remedy that relationship again. And, and it reminds me of the idea of maybe you can't control everything that happens to you. Maybe you, you know, your parents did make your life choices for you and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it, what matters is how you reacted to it. I think it all goes back to reaction. And that that truly does make the difference is, is the way that we react to things. And when you really think about it, at the end of the day, what our parents want for us and what we want for us is the same thing. But maybe in the meantime, it may look different. Maybe, you know, our parents want us to be happy and they think right now marriage and having our own family will make us happy. But right Right now, maybe for us, what makes us happy is maybe the career path we're, we're about to venture on to. At the end of the day, what you want for yourself, your parents also want for you even tenfold. They want to see their children happy and, and they want their children to succeed. So I think sometimes it's just like taking those blinders off, taking those veils away from in front of your eyes and to truly see your parents for who they really are, to humanize them, to understand that they truly love you. But again, the way they say I love you is not is not going to be those same words. The way they say I love you is every morning putting breakfast on the table for you calling you to make sure that you're okay, babysitting your own kids. That's that's the way our parents tell us that they love us. And I think we need to understand that. It, it's interesting, the relationship that we have with our parents at the end of the day. I just want to end it with the shift of how do we abandon the need to be right and just operate from a place of compassion towards our parents who, you know, honestly, they've lived a completely different life than us. And I know, I, I kind of want to touch upon this really quickly. There are some people that have messaged me and told me, how can I have compassion for my parents when they're still controlling me? I have my own family. I have my own home and everything like that. And my parents are still making sure they control me. How, how can we move from that? You know, shift our perspective and un- understand, like, you know, have compassion towards our parents, but also create a little bit of boundaries between us yes, and controlling the words. Yeah, boundaries. That's the popular word of this year. That's the key word right there. And, and people always have a hard time with the word boundaries because they think somehow it's not Islamic. And honestly, if we had a whole other discussion on even the concept of what is Bir al-Walidain or, you know, righteousness to parents, one of the key things you start to learn in that is that again, the concept of boundaries. So if we go back to something I said earlier of go back to the core, the core is always your relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what is considered to be right or wrong according to him. There is nothing in Islam that says that the parent then would come into your own family. Again, your priority is you, your spouse, your kids, right? To come into your circle and start to govern that. That is not their responsibility. And if they're doing that, they are overreaching. Now, can they give you advice? Can they say, hey, the better way to do this might be like this? You know, yes. But the control part is really what's problematic here of like, no, don't cook. I, I, I've done therapy in which I, people have said, you know, no, don't cook that today. Cook this. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Right. It's like, it's super micromanaging where, and this is where I'm going to say this and I can't have a session like this and not say this. <laughs> if you find yourself in one of these situations, if this is actually how your family functions, then there is dysfunction in the family. And the reality is dysfunction like that needs to be remedied. And sometimes you cannot do it alone. This might be one of those situations where you do need to seek out professional help, speak to a professional therapist or counselor, marriage family counselor, or individual counselor who is able to be able to help you see what are the correct boundaries to put that are still Islamically valid. This is why having a Muslim counselor would be very helpful, of course. But nevertheless, at least someone who's culturally attuned and able to help you here and say, according to all backgrounds, this would be overbearing. 
and this is wrong because some things are flat wrong, right? And other times it's like, well, no, actually there might be some possibility where this is actually okay for your mom to say this or do this, right? And then there's the possibility of, you know, you are actually the one being too sensitive and your parents are just fine. So it really helps sometimes to balance that off of a professional, not your friends, not your buddies, because they have their own issues and they may be just like yours, right? But you might need a professional who can be neutral and actually tell you here is actually someone who studied this, right? And can actually tell you what's helpful and what's not and to see you through this next step, inshallah. Yeah, on this podcast, uh, Dr. Rania, we encourage the idea of therapy. I'm someone who just this year started seeking therapy and subhanAllah, it's it's nice. It's almost like you have somebody that's outside of you, outside of your situation, outside of your family, who's unbiased, who can tell you how to approach these things and guide you. They're not going to try to fix you or fix the situation. They're going to guide you the best way that they can. And I absolutely love that. And, and it has helped. It has helped me shift my perspective and view certain things and certain issues from point of view of the other person that I'm having the issue with. I wanted this discussion because I want us to be able to get to a point where bridging the generational gap will always be a work in progress. Your parents came from a completely different generation than you, from a completely different geographic location than you as well at some point, at, you know, in some certain families and whatnot. So there will always be a lot of learning and understanding, a lot of trial and error when it comes to our relationship with our parents. I think at the end of the day, we do have to do things for the sake of Allah. But when you do things for the sake of Allah, also have good intentions. Don't just say, I'm going to just say salam to this person because I have to because Allah said we're no do things because you truly also want to you want to please your creator but you also want to have good intentions and the best way possible is how do you treat your parents and I think that kind of shows a reflection of who you really are so I I really hope that people found this conversation to be very beneficial I obviously did it's such an honor to sit across from you virtually I can't thank you enough for your wisdom I've heard so many lectures of yours and I've I always come away with so much knowledge and so much wisdom from the things that you've shared so again like I started you are a staple in our community and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to to do this and just shining light on these different conversations, much needed conversations. Your work definitely does not go unnoticed, mashallah. It's an honor and pleasure to be here with you today. I hope, I hope, like you said, it's been beneficial and I hope some, you know, people are able to take some uh, wisdom with it. Inshallah. Keep us in your du'as and forgive us for any shortcomings. And one more thing, what social media platforms are you on? Because I, I know that everybody would definitely find it very beneficial to follow you or follow your work and find your work as well. Oh, sure. Happy to, inshallah. The the social media platforms that I'm on are Instagram and Twitter. I guess we also technically have a Facebook account, but I'm much more on the other two. The handle is at Dr. Rania Awad with the, you know, the doctor being DR at the beginning and then my name. And then also on the Muslim Mental Health Lab where, you know, the Stanford Muslim Mental Health. So it's actually at Stanford Muslim MH Lab um, where we put a lot of the content related to mental health on there as well. And then other handles that might be helpful to follow that, which I also contribute to are like the Khalil Centers. So those are some of the places in which to find me. And I hope inshallah that's um, beneficial. Yeah. And as always, we always uh, make sure we tag these social media handles. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, Dr. Rania, for this. I really hope that people benefited and we can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for having me again. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.